Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to another week of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with Neil, Roger, John, myself, Bob. Gentlemen, how are you this week? Hi, Bob. Doing well. Great. Doing well. Well, good. Thank you. So uh, this Sunday, of course, is 4th of July. And so this kind of Independence Week, a lot of patriotism. And I'm thinking, you know, if we played the national anthem right now and put up the flag, I don't think any of the four of us would stand there with our hands on our hips and turn our back to the flag or take a knee or anything like that. But we're going to talk about a lot of things going on regarding patriotism, America, uh, America's Christian heritage, so-called separation of church and state, uh, you know, America and her relationship with God. And so there's a lot of different things that we want to talk about this week surrounding America. But the place I'd like to start with this is what we've been seeing in the news this week. Uh, a whole bunch of different stuff. Like, for example, you have the – we remember, of course, Colin Kaepernick, the football player who uh, taken a knee during the national anthem. And it's like so rude, so disrespectful. And that caught on and in a bunch of sports, many, many people doing that. I consider that extremely disrespectful and spitting on the flag, if you will. Uh, but this is what they do. And then you hear the argument, the counter-argument saying, well, yeah, but we're just protesting what we believe to be systemic racism or law enforcement or whatever. It's like, okay, you want to make that statement? Make that statement. You, there's plenty of times you can do it. You don't have to choose the precise moment that the U.S. flag is coming out and the national anthem is being played. That clearly makes it disrespecting America. Uh, but we've talked about stuff like this before, and the point I've always made, guys, is that if – if Barack Obama, when he was president, if he walked into the room, or for right now, Joe Biden, if Joe Biden walked in the room and they play the, you know, ba bum ba ba bum ba bum and here comes the president in the room, uh, I would be respectful. I would stand there. I would shake his hand. I would say, hello, Mr. President. I would not take a knee or turn my back to him or sit down, refuse to stand up uh, and say, well, I'm doing this because I just want to make a statement about uh, the unborn in this country and abortion. Okay, that's a legitimate statement to make, but I don't need to be doing it in a disrespecting of the president kind of way. And then to try to claim, oh, I'm not being disrespectful of the president. Yes, you are. Well, in this case, you got these athletes that are deliberately disrespecting the flag and then claiming, I'm not being disrespectful to the country or unpatriotic. Yes, you are. We got this transgender Olympic BMX bike rider saying that he wants to burn the U.S. flag on the podium if he wins, although the media calls him her and she. And now we've got I was going to say, come on, Bob, get that right. It's, it's uh, she, not him. Come on, Bob. I know, I know, really. And so now we've got this Olympic athlete, uh, Gwen Berry, who qualified for the Olympics by winning the bronze third place on the hammer throw. Okay, fine. Well, there they are on the podium. And there's the gold winner and the silver winner with their hands over their heart as the national anthem plays. And there's Gwen Berry, Black Lives Matter activist, turns her back to the flag, puts her hands on her hips, puts a shirt over her head that says athlete activist 
And then she tries to claim, well, uh, no, they tricked me. They set me up. Uh, They were supposed to play the national anthem before we came out. Well, no, the U.S. Olympic trial said, no, we weren't. Okay, so so much for that claim. Then she says, I didn't say that I hate this country. No, but your actions make it clear. So I thought we could kind of start with this, first of all, and just go around the table and find out what does everybody think about these athletes, including Olympic athletes, that are supposed to be competing for America, and now suddenly they're like, I'm going to disrespect the flag in this way. My feeling is, I don't want you to compete. I don't want you to represent the United States. Why don't you move to another country, move to a Marxist country, and find out what kind of opportunities for success you have there, and then maybe you'll come back here and kiss the ground. All right, I'm ranting. Let's let's go around the room a little bit if we could. Uh, Anybody that just wants to grab a hold of this and kick it off, go ahead, guys. Notice how polite everybody is. Oh, wow. Well, here we go. Everybody's waiting so for the next. We're like, well, what we're, so, we're doing is so polite, we have our so hands. Yeah, we have our hands on our hips and we're looking the other way. Yeah, I know. That's what we're doing. That's the problem. <laughs> well, I, I know. When I'm talking, I know that's exactly what <laughs> you guys do. Exactly. Uh, all right. But, Roger, let me, let me start with you. Sure. What is your take on it? When I see somebody like this doing this, an Olympic athlete, Maybe I just got a bad attitude, but I'm like, you want to do the Black Lives Matter protest. There's all kind of opportunities for you to do that. Okay, fine. But don't use that particular moment. I'd rather her not compete. I'd rather her not represent this country. Go to Venezuela or Cuba. Yeah, well, go to Venezuela and good luck with that. But, know. you know, it's it's interesting. I was having this conversation. Uh, some of you guys have worked with Dr. Jim Dennison of the Denison Forum. Sure. They're headquartered in Texas. And so we were at the convention last week. So Jim and I got to hang out. We've never actually met in person. And uh, we were talking about one of his most recent articles that involved a pastor who's in Tustin, California, where I grew up who when the um we were talking about platforms and 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 how you you know elevate the message of whatever you're trying to talk about and this pastor decided when emperor newsom shut down all the churches that he was going to stop cutting his hair and he would just let his hair keep growing as a you know a sign of mourning and everything like that until the churches opened back up again so he went about a year and there was a picture of him in the local newspaper he's got this long stringy gray hair and quite frankly it was not a good look i mean at all i mean you talk about hair do's that was a hair don't okay but anyway he went ahead and did it well jim read the article and he thought okay that's really interesting but the only people who got it if i'd seen this guy on the street i would have said hey check out the old hippie you know i mean so what i wouldn't have known why he was doing what he was doing and he said you know a lot of times in the church we do that you know We'll take a stand for something and the rest of the world doesn't even notice because they don't play by the same rules. I think what we're seeing here is a lot of folks who are so kind of consumed with their own space. I mean, is there racism? Yes. Is it systemic? You tell me. I mean, you, people can show you examples on either side of the aisle. But anytime you have one of these flag protest things, you run the risk of being misinterpreted because of the fact that nobody knows what you're talking about except you and maybe a few other people. And so I think in, in terms of, you know, t- to Bob's point, regardless of who the president of the United States was, if the president did walk into the room, we would stand at attention, we'd shake his hand or her hand, depending on how that all works, because we respect the office. And so I think that the the larger issue that leftists don't really care for is they love living in a country where they have the freedom to tell everybody that this country's terrible. And uh, you've got hundreds of millions of other people who look at you crazy and say, what, do you have three years or something? And that just, it doesn't make any sense. So you could see the leftism on display. I think the bigger issue for us as Christians is the fact that when we look at something like the the national ideal that we are striving for knowing that it's not perfect but we want to form a more perfect union there are better ways to to accomplish the task than doing what an athlete doing on the podium did last weekend at the trials yeah yeah and let me jump in because i've got a problem with the whole idea of politics in sports anyway like right. 
right. part of the re- I love I love watching competition. I don't care if it's track and field or basketball or baseball, football, you know, whatever. I mean, yesterday the NFL was it yesterday or the day before came out with the statement the NFL is gay. I don't know if any of you saw that mm-hmm. uh, as uh, as it uh, you know being a part of Pride Month. Um, you had Black Lives Matter all over the NBA basketball courts for the second straight year and. It, it, Okay, so these are ideas that people hold. These are their thoughts. This is their belief system. Why does why does sports have to be the venue by which the stuff gets shared? There are other places to do this. You're allowed to peacefully assemble and protest if you want. You've got your own blogs, your podcasts. You can write a book. There's a lot of different ways to share your ideas. Why does the rest of the world have to be subjected to your partisan ideas uh, and godless ideas and and have that shoved down our throat when we're simply trying to watch the Olympics or whatever. It doesn't make sense to me. And the other thing I would say, uh, I was trying to figure out how to frame my thought, you know, when everybody went silent there for a minute. But, you know, the reality is we live in a country where the borders apparently don't matter much. You can come into the U.S. from almost anywhere. Just cross on the southern border, you'll be fine. But, um, you know, that works two ways. You can also leave. And I, I don't want to be nasty, you know, just saying, hey, get out if you don't like it. But that's part of our freedom. We are free to leave. This isn't communist China. This isn't, you know, East Germany when the Berlin Wall was standing. You're allowed to go elsewhere if you're not happy. But it's it, it's actually uh, an American ideal, this whole concept of freedom of speech. And you should be cherishing that and holding it close mm-hmm. to your heart because that is what makes America great. The, the idea that you even are able to share these ridiculous thoughts. Welcome to America. Right. Right. I know. I know. And yeah. you know what? I, I just – I think of these people being so anti-American, trash in this country. And by the way, Neil, it's a great point you make about sports because sports ought to be – something that can unite us. You know, you go to a football game, a baseball game, if your team scores a touchdown, gets a home run, whatever, you stand up and high-five the stranger next to you. You don't care if they're That's a right. Republican or a Democrat. Frankly, you don't care if they're an atheist or a Christian or a Muslim. Right. It's like, hey, you know what? We're Tigers fans or we're, you know, what? And we high-five each other and it becomes an ultimate unifier. Same thing with Olympics, okay? I don't want to think about or care about whether the gold medalist is a Republican or a Democrat uh, or, or what. It's like, this is a person representing America. Isn't this an opportunity for us to come together? It's just, John, it's a classic example of the mm-hmm. liberal left being the ones that are really about divisiveness, the ones that are trying to close down unity in this country, trying to divide and separate America while accusing conservatives of doing that very thing. That's exactly right. And uh, and by the way, Neil, I, I really do appreciate as well what you said. I look at sports, and I think, by, by the way, I think the majority of people watching sports look at it the exact same way. And I think a lot of the uh, sports entities, NBA, the MLB, you know, their, their Sunday night mm-hmm. game this last week, the ratings were down like 45%. I mean, I think these guys, if they don't start paying attention to some of the things that Neil just said in regards to, you know, what do people come to expect with sports? And that is, I believe, a neutral playing field where you come and you, Bob, do the same thing you just mentioned a moment ago. You come together, you enjoy the game, you leave, and, and there's nothing politically involved in it whatsoever because that's what sports is supposed to be about in the first place. And I think until some of these organizations, you know, come to that realization, I really feel like their, you know, their bottom line is going to start getting hurt. The, the NFL, you know, there's a big salary cap coming up or increase coming up here in a few years. And they're planning on big TV deals to make up for that salary cap increase. And the reality is, 
I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to see some revenue drops, and I think all of these organizations, NFL included, are really going to have to give some self-evaluation as to are we doing this the right way because we're losing viewers. Right. And that is very true. So, okay, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's do this. Let's take a short break. We'll pick it up from here in a couple of minutes more uh, here on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth for Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthforlife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truthful Life from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable with myself, Bob Duco, with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, talking about all things America this week, with this weekend, of course, being the 4th of July. We're starting the conversation talking about Gwen Berry and these athletes that uh, turn their back on the flag. Uh, by the way, they do claim, they do argue that it's unfair to accuse them of being unpatriotic, unfair to accuse them of of being anti-America. And guys, help me out with this. I must be missing something here. Uh, to me, when you do things that are blatantly unpatriotic and anti-American, it's absurd to then try to act all indignant and offended that right. you're accused of being unpatriotic. You know, honestly, it's like the LGBT activists, okay? They get angry if you dare accuse them of targeting our children, all right? But then what right. do we see? We see Sesame Street now putting out gay dads as part of the show. We see Kellogg's uh, targeting the children with uh, the cartoon characters waving gay flags. We've got mm-hmm. the, uh, we've got, uh, what is it, Cartoon Network. We have Nickelodeon now. We have the Drag Queen Storytime Hour. We have these little kitty books in kindergarten's hands promoting transgenderism and LGBT. You target the children, and then you say, how dare me? you accuse me of targeting the children? And these anti-American activists, they spit on the flag, they turn their back on the flag, they refuse to stand for it, and then they say, how dare you question my patriotism? You know, I, maybe I'm just not well, smart enough to figure this out. And add one more layer to that, too, Bob, especially when it comes to the Olympic side of it. And this is where I struggle so much. You know, as Olympians, it is us as a country— And I realize there's all sorts of funding mechanisms and so on. But when you're an Olympian and you're competing on the level that they are and you get to the point where you can actually go to the Olympics, let's face it, you pretty much can write your own ticket after that through all sorts of things that you can do, whether it be through, you know, you win a gold medal, you now have endorsements, you start teaching others how to do it. I mean, let's face Mm -hmm. it, there's very few gold medal winners in the Olympics that don't go on to be pretty successful in life. And the reality is I see it as they've done that on our dime. I mean, to the taxpayer dime, because there's a lot of that stuff that is funded and handled by us as taxpayers. So, you know, I really look at the Olympic side of the fence, especially where you are representing the United States of America. You now have won something. You're up on the podium and you're going to put your hand on your hip and not really listen to the national anthem. I look at that as, as, as this, guys. If I were a a business owner, and I gave one of my employees a great reward, and they come up into a, an assembly, uh, you know, where, where we're honoring that particular award and the thing that they've accomplished. But they get up there and just do nothing but trash me and the company. Do you think they'd have a job the next day? Right. I'm going to go with no. Right. <laughs> exactly. So why? Wh- how is this any different? Is my question. 
You're right. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I know. I. The bottom line is. The, the Olympics is about representing one's country. That's why they have the flag ceremony at the beginning of the Olympics. You're there to represent your country. So if you're saying you don't want to represent your country, don't be at the Olympics. Get out of it. Yeah, you're don't. not welcome. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and, and, and if I could add to the vernacular we're talking about here, that's the gig. You get right down to it. I mean, there was a time when we used to send amateur athletes there, and we would tell ourselves, well, these are the best amateurs, and they're playing against all these professional yep, basketball right. and hockey teams. Well, now it, we all know it's a business. So basically, the gig is you're an Olympic athlete. The gig is, like I was reading a, a, a Facebook post the other day, Allison Felix, the sprinter, going on and on. about The tone of the whole commentary was Nike dropped me because I got pregnant then I had complications of my pregnancy and so I started my own company and I'm an activist and I'm an entrepreneur and I thought gosh what a shame I just like watching her run I met her at a couple of events she's a nice Christian woman she's fast she gets gold medals and inspires people that way but apparently this is the new norm now you know you have to stand for something you know it can't just be just about I'm, I'm running for change no you're running for a medal I mean your, your legacy will will go far beyond whatever you're talking about and, and that'll speak for itself you don't have to in the moment every single thing you do i mean we look back on the legacy of someone's career and then say wow you were a great influence you were tremendous but nowadays it's like every single minute every stride i'm taking i'm like no you're just running a race i mean just run the race compete get the medal or don't get the medal have the legacy go on the lecture circuit be an inspiration stop talking about it and just do it for crying out loud so let's talk a little bit about what it is that drives this anti-americanism on the left. Uh, we've all heard of the the Rorschach test where you show somebody some ink blots and one person sees an ugly bat, another person sees a butterfly and you learn something about the, the person's personality theoretically. Okay, fine. <clears throat> I submit to you guys, if you took 100 people and put them in a room and uh, you know, a mix, a mix of conservatives, liberals, whatever in the room and you do the Rorschach test and you, you say, I'm going to show you an image and I want you to just blurt out the first word that comes to your mind, all right? Uh, and the image you show them is the U.S. flag. Now, uh, you'd have a lot of different comments in the room. People would say patriotism, USA, freedom, liberty. You'd also have people that blurt out things like racism, oppression, fascist, totalitarianism, and stuff like this. So once everybody has blurted out their words, or we'll say written them, written them down on a piece of paper— I would then say, let's take every pejorative, every negative word that was used as the first word to come out, and let's gather all those people together, whatever that number is out of the 100, if it's 20, if it's 50, whatever that number is, I'd be willing to bet money that 100% of them are Democrats, 100% of them voted liberal, uh, maybe 99%, but for the most part, this is something on the political left, that you have a, a growing number of liberals that when they see America, the first thought that comes to mind is something negative. What is that all about? Why in the world uh, is that? Do you guys have a, John, you got any theories? Yeah, I think it's just the way that whole mentality is on the left. We talked yesterday about the education system and had a guest on really talking about how it would be a great podcast for us, by the way, on, you know, can the public school system ever be reformed? And I had an ex-educator and superintendent of the uh, of the uh, Phoenix area school district say, no, it can't be. It's been too systemic. It, it's been taught a certain way for, for far too long. The teachers unions are far too involved. And the reality is, no, it can't be 
revamped. And so you, you, you add that layer, Bob, to the question of why do they feel the way they do? And if there's nobody there, you know, in our case with, you know, Christian parents and so on to place the kids in check to let them know that, no, that's not the right philosophy. If there's nobody around to do that, that's how they end up. Yeah. What do you guys, Neil, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I've got a slightly different take, although I don't disagree with what John said. I, I actually asked this question of a friend. I happened to be texting him. He was He's a former CEO at Nestle, spent time also as a VP at Disney. And I just said, you know, what's driving the anti-Americanism on the left? And his answer was dishonest media that denies the existence of God and his word. He said the evil one is at work in this country. And what, what's interesting about that, I wouldn't have said it the exact same way, but the, the thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about the question I knew that you'd ask was Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what, what I want to say is I think that, honestly, it's hatred of God and hatred of God's create, creation. Uh, people created in the image of God, you see that obviously in the abortion issue, but the idea that mankind wants to be the supreme being, mankind wants to be in charge, and ultimately, if there is a God, then we're accountable to him. We don't want that kind of, a, many people don't want that kind of accountability. And I just think that it's it's underneath the surface. I, and I think that there's a spiritual blindness attached to that. I mean, Satan's a deceiver. I, I, I know it's kind of a complicated answer, but I honestly believe that it's spiritual deception rooted in that kind of blindness and hatred of God that drives that kind of ideology. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. uh, to say that God exists and I'm accountable to him and I'm going to obey what he says is the only other option. Let's get another but, break yeah, in here real it, quick. And, and then I want to get your response to that if we could, John, and then get Roger in on this as well. More on the National Crawford Roundtable coming up next. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable podcast uh, with Roger, Neil, John, Bob Duco, and we're talking about all things America right now, discussing the anti-Americanism that seems to be pervasive on the left. And, you know, John, Neil's making the point that uh, he yeah. sees this as a very spiritual and a deception from the left. Your and I, and I, by the way, Neil, I agree with everything you said, and I think all you did was reiterate what I said in a different manner, because essentially right. what the public school system is doing is essentially teaching the very same thing you just talked about. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the root of this really does come down to we've been teaching this in our system systematically, if you would, mm-hmm. for the past, you know, 60 to 70, if not longer, you know, years. And then we wonder why we why we have what we have today. And, you know, and on top of that, I think one thing that was mentioned yesterday, and this is something we haven't talked much about either, guys, is... You know, at one point in time, being an entrepreneur in this country, you know, being somebody like myself, was something that, you know, a lot of people look to actually do. I mean, they came to this country to be an entrepreneur. They, they immigrated to this country to be an entrepreneur. This was the land of opportunity. And we've taken that look on life, if you would, or that goal in life, and we've changed that around to where now I'm actually the bad guy, and I'm the guy that you actually discourage your kids to be like, because we just want our kids to be lemmings and go to work every day and do what they're told. 
Absolutely. Roger, what's your what's your take on this and how do you explain? I mean, I think we're, we're all in agreement there is a spiritual deception largely at play here. Uh, what is it about the political left in this country that they seem to uh, they seem to see the worst in America. Uh, it, it seems to me they're, they're embracing totalitarianism. They're embracing Marxism. Uh, we just saw a poll that came out showing that uh, the majority of Generation Z now has a negative view of capitalism, a positive view of socialism. It's like all things America uh, are becoming negative, and it's happening more and more with the left. What do you see as driving this? <laughs> I think what's driving it, quite frankly, is a great self of sen- a sense of self-loathing and, and, and an inability to recognize evil for what it is. I mean, as, as conservatives, as Christian guys, we can look at the world and we can see evil all around us and we can see good. I mean, that's the beautiful thing. You know, it's, you think about what happened in the Garden of Eden where, uh, you know, there was the, you know, the original sin. Uh, the, the fruit was the, the knowledge of the difference between good and evil. And, and so we have that. So we've kind of been blessed with it and cursed with it simultaneously. The left wants to run as far away from God as they possibly can. So now they don't have anything that's evil. I mean, they don't really have a, they don't have a North Star, as it were, for what is good and then, you know, being able to identify evil. So they just randomly attach themselves to different things, you know, in terms of what is evil. And I think it's a lot easier for them to say, America is evil. It's all bad. It's all terrible. Rather than to say, no, sin is is evil. I mean, the people who do evil things to other people are evil. The nation mm-hmm. itself is not evil in and of itself, any more than capitalism isn't evil in and of itself. Capitalism is God's plan A for a method of, you know, a means of exchange in the society. The system itself isn't evil. It's what people do with it that's evil. And we can see that leftists can't. And so when you're driven more by your feelings than by actual facts, you, you wind up with this problem. There is a perception, as you know, Roger, that America is, quote, systemically racist. Uh, right now, there's big debates going on in school boards around the country, especially in Virginia, about critical race theory being taught in the schools, which I got to say, there's probably an entire podcast that we'll have to do just on critical race theory. Mm-hmm. But the, this general philosophy that America at its core is systemically racist, that that's what America is built on. It's woven into the fabric and DNA of this country. And so, therefore, everything that you look at in life, whether it's entertainment, politics, news, anything, has to be looked at through the racial lens of this presupposition. Whiteness is are the oppressors. White people are the oppressors. Black people are the oppressed. Uh, that's the starting point from there, go, form your opinions. Uh, and we're seeing this spreading more and more around this country. Uh, this, I think, is a real shame because America, we know, is not perfect, okay? America has sins in her past, absolutely. And there are ugly warts that are part of our history where we've grown up and learned things like slavery, Jim Crow, Trail of Tears. I mean, nobody's denying any of that. But to say that's who we are at our core and everything should be looked through the lens of whiteness versus blackness, oppressor versus oppressed, this to me is a very troubling issue. And I want to talk just a couple of minutes on that after the break here. And then we'll move into some other areas about America as we have this special America edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. You can listen to the second half of this podcast, everybody, online by going to crawfordmediagroup.net 
or you can listen wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. And so more with Neil, Roger, John, and myself coming up. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast with John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line from California, the People's Republic, uh, myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit. We're talking about all things America this week with Fourth of July coming up this weekend. And the perception, gentlemen, that America is systemically racist, critical race theory being pushed. Let's do a little bit of a teaser on that, even though we will have an upcoming podcast that will be devoted completely to the question of systemic racism and critical race theory. But I'd at least like to get uh, some initial thoughts on this uh, as well. And if we can kind of go around the room here, Neil, if I could start with you. None of us deny that there's racism that exists in America. Of course there is. It's not a racism problem. It's a sin problem. But uh, bottom line, there are racists that are out there, and there is racism that's part of the history of America. Does that mean that's who we are at the core, that's our identity, and that we should be looking at everything in life through the lens of whiteness versus blackness, oppressor versus oppressed. That's what critical race theory right now is shoving down our kids' throats in schools. Yeah, and what flies in the face of all of that thinking and ideology is the fact that we've had a black president in the United States. We have a you know, mixed-race vice president right now, a female. We have... Uh, African-Americans who've served on the U.S. Supreme Court, teaching in major positions in education, serving in various, you know, positions in the U.S. government, um, coaching everywhere. I mean, there's been advancement of African-American people over the years or any other race you want to focus on. gazillionaires and entertainers, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Michael Jackson was a gazillionaire, right? I mean, somehow he made it big and nobody held him back from that. Now, does racism exist? I 100% agree agree that it does. But I also think that you are 100% right, Bob, when you mentioned that we're we're an experiment in progress. And yeah, we've existed for more than 200 years. And sometimes it takes a while to get things through our thick skull. But I mean, when when the U.S. Constitution was signed, um, it was in the preamble to establish a more perfect union, as uh, Roger mentioned earlier. As we grow, as we change, as we understand sin, and by the way, that was a national sin, ultimately, that we kept people in slavery and treated them as something less than equal, you know, in the sight of God, absolutely, we needed to repent of that. We needed to move on. But we're a nation in progress, and we're absolutely making progress. There are those who want to capitalize on that idea, pretend that it still exists, and it doesn't. And I think we need to stand up against it. We need to unite with other people of like thinking and simply refuse to walk down that road because um, systemic racism is being used as a tool to fly in the face of Christianity, conservatism, and American progress. This is about this is about feeding the ideology of a liberal progressive left that wants nothing to do with God, hates America, as we described earlier. And I think we need to just simply stand up and say no and recognize that the vast majority of people absolutely are not racist and hold no racial views. And if you can even point it out to some of them, they would be aghast and want to change their opinion on that. That is, racism is not what America is ultimately about. We're a a nation in change, and I think that we need to just simply say enough is enough. We're not going to listen to what you have to say about this nonsense like critical race theory. 
Right. Uh, what do you uh, What do you say on this, Roger? Critical race theory, kind of a teaser. Like I say, we'll do a full podcast on this at some point in the future. But yeah, I think. Well, I think we need to because I mean, it's obviously the conversation is here. It's kind of like a few years ago, if you'd said, "Well, do we really have to have any sort of policy or position on transgender rights and things like that?" Most people would have said, "Yeah, there aren't that many people who are impacted by it." So now it seems to be everywhere. Uh, with regard to critical race, one of the biggest challenges I remember a uh, uh, an African American friend of mine, a neighbor, pastor. Uh, we were talking after the 2016 election. And I asked him how he was doing. He goes, I'm doing okay. And and then he said, you know, I do have a question, though, about those Make America Great hats. Uh, I said, okay, Uh, Make America Great Again. He said, what's our reference point? When are we going back to? You know, how do we mark it back? And I remember what Howard said to me so clearly because of the fact that I think one of the challenges that we have in this critical race theory is you can't just say, okay, well, America was founded by slave traders, et cetera, et cetera. They came in and raped and pillaged, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but... What's your starting point? You know, what, is it with Native Americans? How the Native Americans get here? You know, in terms of Columbus and you know European, you know, all that that type of influence that's been here. Is there systemic racism? Well, there are people who have been systemically, you know, kept out of things because of their race. We did a story not too long ago here in the People's Republic of California. There was a hotel that was owned by an African-American family, and it was a nice little resort thing in Manhattan Beach that up until 1920 was a place that African-Americans of means, you know, would go and have a nice beach vacation. City of Manhattan Beach came in, claimed eminent domain, and basically took over a piece of property now that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and they turned it into a lifeguard training station. I mean, which which is apparently was essential in 1921 in Manhattan Beach, California, but uh, the tongue planted firmly in cheek. Uh, you know that family's been looking around, going, "Hey, we've had a hundred years where you just basically stole our business from us and claimed them in a domain. There was no road coming through. They just took over the old building." So you know, s- someone would look at a case like that and say, "Well, yeah, I mean, that's there's your example right there." It, it's not you know the big broad stroke that uh, it, the left is claiming it to be. But to Neil's point too, you know, is there racism in America? Yes, there is. I mean, and 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 how do we deal with it? I, I think. You know, half-hour lectures every day in public school uh, classrooms is probably not the best way to do it, especially when you're coming from a biased position of, you know, if, if the whole issue was we're not teaching American history thoroughly and properly, then going from a more, uh, you know, uh, Anglo-centric, if that's what the left is calling it, uh, style, to something that's completely critically race-based, uh, you know, you're, you're exchanging one evil for the other as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, John, what's your... Uh uh, kind of a take on critical race theory and uh, kind of a, a, a setup, if you will, for a future podcast on this. I think we need to teach people how to think in general, not not in any sort of manner and not slanted any way. And, and let me explain myself. The gal that we were talking about, Ms. Barry, who was on the podium, who then had to take a T-shirt that that she then put over her face because she didn't want to listen to the anthem. I did a little research while you guys were all talking, and it's interesting that the T-shirt that she has comes from a company that only thing they talk about being made in America is the fact that it's screen printed in America. We all know where T-shirts come from, guys, and the majority of them (laughs) come from areas where there is very much systemic racism going on on a very routine daily basis. My point is this. They're so hypocritical on some of these things. You know, she's she's going to hang on to a T-shirt, not listen to the anthem, and that T-shirt is coming from the very same place that she's claiming to be against. My point is, can we just educate people in general so that they can think for themselves without having any bias into it at all? That's the point that I feel we need to get back to. 
Yeah, part of yeah, the problem it, is we're in a post-truth world, and people aren't even interested in what the truth is. They're like, "True, don't don't, don't be right. using facts and logic to mess with my feelings. I want to feel. I want yeah, my feelings and emotions reaffirmed. And if you're not going to do that, then leave me alone. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's like that's the the culture that we're in today, especially with the younger generation. Neil drives me nuts. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Well, and I've you're seeing a growing number of people, even in the African American community, stepping up and saying, "This is nonsense. This whole critical yeah. race theory thing." And it, uh, one woman, uh, her name was. Quisha King, African-American mom from Duval County, Florida, quoted in the New York Post said, telling my child or any child that they're in a permanent oppressed status in America because they're black is racist and saying that white people are automatically above me, my children or any child is racist as well. I say mm-hmm. amen. I agree. Amen. Great Indeed. point. Great point. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what it is that makes America great. I mean, you know, the slogan, of course, Donald Trump, make America great again. But, but I do believe America is the greatest nation on planet Earth. What is it that makes America great? What is our greatness really about, if you will? And uh, what can we lose that will cause America to not be the greatest nation on planet Earth? We'll talk about that after the break here on the National Crawford Roundtable. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gray. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with myself, Bob Duco, with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, talking about all things America in this Independence Day week. So what is it that makes America great, guys? I just want to throw out my quick thoughts on this, and there's a lot more to this, but I look at the individual liberties and freedoms that we have in this country. Uh, It's a we the people. We basically entrust the people to run this country, to elect our representatives. We have freedom. We have liberty, the Bill of Rights, the things that we have in this country, the freedoms that we have are, are things we take for granted, but they don't have around the rest of the world. I'd love to see one of these transgender athletes or activists go over to Saudi Arabia or Pakistan or China or North Korea or Venezuela or Cuba or anything like that and see what kind of freedoms and liberties they experience Mm -hmm. over there. They will not have them. But ultimately, all of the freedom and liberty that we talk about that makes America great is a godly and biblical principle that I would argue it's our founding fathers declaring that this country and the success of this country depends on a reliance upon Almighty God, divine providence, and His hand of protection and guidance through this nation and the nation's growth. And so I would say it's been uh, this country weaving God into this nation as the foundation on which this republic rests, uh, that that's what makes America great. And all the liberties and freedoms and everything, those are branches off of the tree trunk of a reliance upon God. Uh, So I would argue that's what makes America great. And unfortunately, I see that tree getting chopped down more and more and more, especially over the last few decades. But uh, that's kind of my talk. Let's Go around the the room here. I suppose anybody wants to chime in. What makes America great? How do we define it? Well, let me let me jump in since you mentioned trees. That was on my mind. Um, 
there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. Well, there was many. There was presumably hundreds of thousands. I don't know. There was everything that was good for food and, you know, pleasing to the eye. That's ultimately what the Garden of Eden was about. But there was two special trees in the middle. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and Adam and Eve were commanded not to eat from that one. The other one was the tree of life. Presumably they could have had at it and enjoyed whatever the tree of life had to offer them. <clears throat> but ultimately what I'm getting at here is that God gave mankind freedom at the very beginning. Why do I say that? Because he obviously told them what his desire was. Don't eat from that one tree, because if you do, you'll surely die. His concern was for their protection and provision. But he also didn't prevent them from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was God that put that tree there. What I'm getting at is that freedom, in my mind, represents God's authentic love for us. The idea that that we are loved in such a way that God says, I would desire that you love me back, but I'm not going to force you to. And so freedom is at the core of what America is about. Well, it should have been about because <laughs> it seems to be changing. Opportunity as well. But, you know, ultimately, um, the world has moved into a different direction. And we, we said this earlier, but that a godless state where they want nothing to do with the things of God. I think what makes America great is that our founding documents uh, didn't force people to be Christian. Um, they, I, I know that I'm going to get some pushback on this, but you know, I don't believe that in America was founded to be a Christian nation. It was founded largely by Christians, and you see that, you know, in Thomas Jefferson and others arguing against any kind of a state-forced religion. Um, but the point is that freedom was a part of that equation. What makes America great? The idea that freedom and opportunity were at the core of what we were about. And the people were welcome to choose for themselves what it was, which God they wanted to serve, and how they wanted to, you know, cooperate with what was happening here in this great place called America. Yeah, uh, Roger, what's your take on that? How do we define really American greatness? What what is it about America that's so great? Of, for, and by the people. I think that's yeah. first and foremost. I mean, and and the the visions that we have right now are largely a result of people who want to live according to godly principles at, at odds with people who don't. Um, I had a chance to uh, visit with Dr. Eric Mason recently, wrote a book called Urban Apologetics, and he says that's one of the biggest challenges for the African-American community right now is the fact that uh, there's this kind of subgroup of, uh, you know, on social media that is really telling people, if you're black, you can't be a Christian. It's a white man's religion. And it completely flies in the face of the gospel. But you could see how if a number of different groups or subsets of people would look and say, okay, we're going to turn away from what the true saving gospel is, that we're sinful by nature, we live in a sinful fallen world, that uh, only Jesus Christ could pay the penalty for our sin, and he did. So if we believe that in our hearts and, and, and confess it with our mouths, we'll be saved. That that's that. that uh, the beauty of the American system is it mirrors what uh, Neil was just describing in the Garden of Eden. You know, God provided those things for Adam and Eve, but didn't tell, it, it said don't do it, but then when they did it, they had the free will to either eat the fruit or not eat the fruit. And we basically, the same thing here, our religious liberty enables us to live according to Christian principles without being a theocracy. So mm -hmm. I, think that's, well, I think that's at the core. Everything kind of flows from there in terms of that. For me, That's I think that's what makes America truly great. Warts and all, we can course correct of, for, and by the people. Yeah. John? I So far, everything you guys have said, I really don't know what else to add. I like what Neil said, that that our country, while founded by Christians, is, and I'll be I'm just like Neil, and I know a lot of people would argue with me, it's not a quote-unquote Christian nation. It was founded on godly Christian principles with the freedom 
for each one of us to choose who to worship any way we want and have that freedom to do so. And, of course, I do believe that our founding fathers, the majority of them were Christians, and, mm-hmm. and you know, God's providence was upon this country when it was founded, and I'm very much a believer in that, and, and I do believe that God has blessed this country greatly because of some of the foundations that we've even, you know, lived upon all these years. But what makes America so great? You know, A, our legal system, the fact that everyone has, you know, equal representation under the law. You know, supposedly we're not supposed to be guilty until proven guilty or innocent before being proven guilty. There's a lot of countries where it's the opposite of that. By the way, that's something that I think is also starting to erode in this country. That's maybe another podcast on down the road road, guys. But, you know, this is still, in my opinion, and I think I'm living proof. I mean, I'm a very uneducated guy. I, I just learned how to outwork the next, the next guy. You can be successful in this country with no education if you want. It is the land of milk and honey. It is the land of opportunity. It's the reason why millions and millions of people want to come across the southern border on an annual basis because they too know what I just said. Mm, absolutely. Well, let's do this. We're going to take a, another short break, and then we'll uh, kind of wind down our time. I want to talk about the so-called separation of church and state in uh, in this country that we hear so much about from groups like the ACLU, the Antichrist Liberals Union. Is that really true? Did our What does it mean, Christian nation? And what is the intention of our founding fathers as it relates to God, religion, and such? Uh, more on this National Crawford Roundtable podcast next. Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org/slash listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Kind of winding down this National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with Neil, Roger, John, myself, Bob Duco, talking about all things America. Gentlemen, let's talk about America's Christian heritage and the the tail part of this podcast. Uh, We hear from groups like the ACLU and others that there is a so-called constitutional separation of church and state. Well, we know there's no such thing. You don't find that anywhere in the Constitution. The First Amendment of the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Uh, That then begs the question, would our founding fathers have looked at a local high school renting out its auditorium on Sunday mornings to a local church as somehow tantamount to Congress establishing an official religion. Uh, There's no way that they would have. We have been lied to in our school history books. The fact is our founding fathers, when they founded this nation, they believed in a blending of church and state. They believed it was the proper and appropriate role of the U.S. government to encourage Christianity, to promote Christianity, but to not require or compel Christianity. So if you don't want to be Christian, you don't have to, and you have equal rights as an American. You have an absolute freedom to believe whatever you want to believe or believe nothing. Uh, That takes away no rights from you whatsoever. However, as far as U.S. government goes, we're going to encourage you to be Christian, but we're just not going to require it. Uh, Now, people hear that and go, oh, that's not really true. But you know what? If you look at the actual actions 
of our founding fathers, you see that that is, in fact, true. Uh, The uh, U.S. Congress... As well as Thomas Jefferson extending this multiple times, set aside federal dollars and federal land for witnessing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Indians. Uh, this was signed by Congress and, and by the president on December 3rd, 1803, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with U.S. federal tax dollars to the Kaskaskia Indians, in 1806 to the Wyandot Indians, in 1807 to the Cherokee Indians. Now, in all fairness, we were hypocrites sometimes. Okay, you break treaties with people. It makes it difficult to uh, witness to them. I get that. But the issue is that our founding fathers believed that this was the proper role of the government. And the actual congressional language says to promote Christianity to the Indians. It was Congress that formed the American Bible Society. The largest church in Washington, D.C., when the Constitution was ratified, was the U.S. Capitol building, converted to a church every Sunday morning. The U.S. Marine Corps Band was the worship team during this. The U.S. used to build churches, print Bibles. Before there was a Zondervan, there was the U.S. government printing Bibles. I mean, I could literally spend the next three hours nonstop giving you example after example after example of stuff like this. By the way, the overflow churches when the U.S. Capitol was full every Sunday morning were the Treasury Department, the War Department, and the Supreme Court Chambers. Uh, All of this is in the National Archives in Washington, D.C., but censored from American history books in this country and in the schools. And so that's one of the things that kind of drives me crazy, the secularizing of history Mm -hmm. to rewrite the fact that our founding fathers believed we need to be promoting and encouraging Christianity. But if you don't become a Christian, that's okay. You have equal rights as an American. That was the beauty and the wisdom of our founding fathers. And I got to say, Jesus kind of had the same philosophy. If you think about it, when he sent out his disciples, he said, preach the good news, but if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your sandals and move on, okay? Give them the freedom to make the wrong decisions, but give them the freedom to do that. Uh, That principle is woven into our founding in this nation. We want you to be Christian, but we're going to give you the freedom not to, and we're not going to deny you any rights in the process. That's the actual history of this country, and we've been lied to, quite frankly. Well, and actually, that just underscores what was said earlier, that the nation was founded to respect that, you know, the fact that God exists and that God should be worshipped, but that nobody was going to be forced to worship God. And so, again, I say, in my opinion, the United States was not formed to be a Christian nation, but was founded largely by Christians who believed in the Word of God. And you can see it all over, all over the place. In all of the founding documents, everything that was said and written about back then had some understanding that God was a part of this equation. Um, Some of you probably have interviewed Mark David Hall, who wrote the book, Did America Have a Christian Founding? And in that book, he separates modern myths about this from historical truths. But he continues to underscore over and over again just how many Christians and how many Christian thoughts, you know, were going into um, the founding of this nation, including what was happening in individual states. But what's interesting to note is that some people might look at Thomas Jefferson and say, well, um, there's a guy who, you know, who was living for God. John Leland was a Baptist minister from New England, who was against the establishment of religion, 
Two days after Jefferson wrote the letter to the Danbury Baptist Convention in which the words, you know, separation of church and state appeared, the two of them (laughs) attended church together at the U.S. Capitol building that Bob just described, saying what? They believed in God and they believed in the free exercise of religion, but they were smart enough to know that government should have no role in it whatsoever. I mean, how is government done with education and health care right now? Do we want government, you know, running religion? What their understanding of how true freedom ought to work is totally biblical and it's virtually prophetic that they saw in advance the government shouldn't be forcing religion on people. Absolutely. Uh, Roger, what is your uh, your take on this, the actual founding of this nation and the rewriting, the secularizing of, of history? Well, you have to rewrite it. I mean, if you're, if, and I say, I'm not saying you should rewrite it because it's wrong. You should rewrite it if you're a leftist because it doesn't add up. I mean, the, right. the, the reality is if you've created a narrative and then you have to go back, and, and this is Orwellian, this is Toffler, this is, I mean, the, the idea that you would rewrite history to make it fit your narrative. It's the only way the left can actually work. It's the only way the left can actually function. And as you guys have duly noted and uh, wholeheartedly appreciating this, you know, review of American Christian heritage, uh, what makes us great is the fact that we did in fact have a nation that was founded on principles that mirror what we saw in the Garden of Eden and what we see in the biblical foundation of creation. And the idea that the founders did say, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, was acknowledging God's natural law. And the fact that we can also look at the, you know, what people say, what about the black eyes and, you know, our our history in terms of trading Native Americans or slave trade or this, that, and the other thing. Any sane person with clear thought and a heart for God can look at those things and say, yeah, they were wrong. They were misapplied. And I don't want to be that pastor who kept giving that sermon week after week in the 1800s, uh, talking about how God's all okay with slavery and let's go ahead and buy and sell a few more people. I mean, that's just, we can look back on that now and, you know, with, and, and literally hang our heads in shame. But the beauty of the American experiment and it's still constantly an experiment, a work in process, is that we can change, that we can uh, shape laws and hearts and lives and minds uh, with the good news of the gospel. I mean, and as long as one of the knocks on, on President Trump, of course, from the left is that uh, during the whole time he was there, he's a friend of Israel and he, you know, wasn't, he wasn't doing everything that the previous administration had done. But I think one of the praises of the Trump administration is the fact that all of his Middle Eastern foreign policy was all driven with religious liberty at the heart of it, first and foremost, and that they mm-hmm. stood up more for people who were persecuted for their faith. And again, not just their Christian faith, but their faith, period. And the fact any religious minority was being persecuted, that was the heartbeat of the Trump foreign policy. And I think it, it, it really mirrors biblical principles, whether he intended to do that or not, the fact that you look at the fact that God does give us the free will to choose life or to not choose life. And mm-hmm. thanks be to God that uh, for those of us who have you know, made that decision, I think by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I, it, I wish it was a, a compelling four-point sales pitch and then you know you'd sit there for an hour and a half and then you get a free microwave and eternity or whatever i don't think it works mm-hmm. like that but but the, but the fact that we have the freedom and had the foundation to do this doesn't mean we're always going to do it right but it's still the best america on its worst day i think is better than any other great country or great nation bar none in the history of the world absolutely Amen. which by the way we're going to have to have a podcast sometime uh just specifically on Addressing the difficult issues of the founding fathers and owning slaves, and you know, how do you explain founding fathers uh, that were Christians, genuine Christians, but owning slaves at the same time, and just the, the warped perspective 
that humans in a fallen world have had on issues like slavery. For that matter, mm-hmm. the patriarchs of the Bible uh, practicing polygamy. I mean, what, when something yeah. becomes normalized in a society enough, even godly men can be blinded uh, by by sin. But that's that's definitely, I think, a podcast for a future event. Uh, John, some of your thoughts on the the Christian heritage and founding of this nation, the censorship and the rewriting of history. You're never going to see, John, in any American history books in mm-hmm. any public school that one of the rallying cries of the Revolutionary War was no king but King Jesus. Now, you right. can look this up in the Boston, Massachusetts Committee of Correspondence at the Massachusetts Historical Society, but you're not going to see this in any history books in American schools. Bob, you can't even get a good explanation in our schools today of what the actual letter that Jefferson wrote in regards oh, to, quote-unquote, separation of church and state. So, no, of course not. You're, you're not going to get any of the accuracies that are needed to really give people the ammunition to think clearly when it comes to, you know, how our country was founded and, and what the principles were back then. And the reality is that's on purpose. We just part of what we're talking about right now. That is what I believe, you know, we keep calling it the left guys, but I think one of the things that we really need to make sure at least, and I've been trying to do this a, a lot on my program is I hate calling them just the left because the left has been infiltrated by communism literally. So this is literally a communist attempted takeover of the United States of America. They're using a political party to do so. And the faster we start saying that and the more we recognize that, and I know that in some ways we sound like we're we're wackos, but the reality is we are not. This is well documented. The communists are using the left to accomplish what they want, which is the takeover over of the United States of America. It's a very good point. Hey, let um, me just add Buffalo, yeah. New York. Uh, they just held a primary recently for mayor of Buffalo. And I'm pretty sure that there was no Republican primary at all, but the Democratic primary, well, we've had a, a four-term Democratic mayor, African-American, who's done a pretty good job running our city, certainly not a conservative by any means, but kind of fell asleep at the switch, wasn't paying attention you know, to, it didn't even feel like there was any need to worry about any challengers. Um, actually got defeated by a Black Lives activist, um, mm. socialist, who's a, an avowed socialist. So unless something, and now he's going to try to run a writing campaign and thinks there's maybe enough support, perhaps even Republicans coming across the aisle to vote for him in November to, to somehow defeat her. But she won handily in this uh, in the uh, in the primary. So Buffalo, New York is going to have an avowed socialist as mayor now. Hmm. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, as we wind down this podcast, what I think I'd like to do uh, is share with everybody, share with our listeners, maybe in our last couple of minutes, a few presidential quotes, if that's all right. And guys, if you'll just indulge me, I I want everybody to, to hear the way that presidents in America used to talk, and this was never considered controversial, okay? This is systemically what America, okay, had woven into their DNA that the Marxists, you're absolutely right, are, are trying to extract. John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, said this, quote, It is no slight testimonial both to the merit and worth of Christianity that in all the ages since its promulgation, the great mass of those who have risen to eminence by their profound wisdom and integrity have recognized and reverenced Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of the living God. Andrew Johnson, our 17th president, said, quote, and by the way, these are public speeches, quote, let us look forward to the time when we can take the flag of our country and nail it below the cross 
and exclaim, Christ first, our country next. Imagine a president today saying that. Grover Cleveland, our 22nd and 24th president, said, quote, All must admit that the reception of the teachings of Christ results in the purest patriotism, in the most scrupulous fidelity to public trust, and in the best type of citizenship. That's right. Christians are the most patriotic and the best citizens. Teddy Roosevelt, our 26th president said, quote, after a week on perplexing problems, it does so rest my soul to come into the house of the Lord and to sing it and to mean it, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, my great joy and glory in occupying an exalted position in the nation is that I'm enabled to preach the practical moralities of the Bible to my fellow countrymen and to hold up Christ as the hope and Savior to the world. Herbert Hoover said, quote, the whole inspiration of our civilization springs from the teachings of Christ. And then I'll leave with one final one. George Washington, May 12th, 1779, was addressing the Delaware Indian chiefs. These are religious people, but they practice false religion, of course. And here's what George Washington said to them, quote, You would do well to wish to learn our arts and ways, and above all, the religion of Jesus Christ. This will make you a greater and happier people than you are. Congress will do everything they can to assist you in this wise intention. Can we imagine a potential President Mike Pence speaking to a religious group of people that are not Christian and saying, you guys really need to know Jesus Christ. This will make you happier. And by the way, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in Congress, they'll do everything they can. I don't want Nancy Pelosi teaching people about Jesus, quite frankly. Uh, This is the way that presidents used to talk publicly. This is what the actual fabric and history of America is. And it's a shame that it's been censored from our American history books. But that's why we need to speak up and let people know the truth. And uh, and so I just don't want God to lift his hand of protection of this nation. Very interesting, very interesting discussion this week, guys. I'm looking forward to future podcasts with you and uh, hope uh, everybody has a great 4th of July weekend. We'll see you all next week. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Thanks, Bob. You bet. Thank you. And thank you for listening, everybody. God bless. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Media Group production.